So imagine you come into the boardroom and your investment committee is gathering today and next to you you have a senior leader who has the demeanor of a guitar hero. She's really grounded, mysterious, but also has a great sense of humor. And yet she also happens to be a specialist in all things around sustainable investment, which is good, but also aging and pensions. So welcome to Be and Think in the House of Trust. My name is Sylvain Wiesel from Conscious Innovation. And in this series, I share a thinking moment with people who love to invest in social and environmental change and who also explore the mental models and what it takes to do a better job at creating positive change. And my guest today is Amanda Latham. She's a director, sustainable investment at IFM Investors and also a trustee at HUK. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very pleased, very pleased to uh, welcome you in this House of Trust today. Uh, most recently, you've been involved in convening people to tackle inequalities in pension outcomes in the UK. In the past, you've been a policy lead at pension regulator. You're also a trustee at Age UK. Is there something around a personal connection around the old age or mature age outside your own mortality that you feel mostly connected to? Yeah, thanks. That's um, like a really good summary. I think partly uh, some of it was coincidence or just like convenience, if that makes sense. So I ended up working at the pensions regulator just by chance because it was nearby where I was living in Brighton. And, um, a, you know, a role came up at a time when I left a previous role uh, working in sort of waste management industry and, uh, yeah, just ended up moving into into the pensions area. And then with AGK, that was, uh, I was doing my master's and I was doing a course on uh, qualitative social research and I was looking for volunteering roles and there was a, a volunteer role in their sort of engagement team. So working, uh, going into older people's homes and interviewing them about how they were uh, engaging with services or uh, like the health service or various other things in the, in the city. And um, so I volunteered doing that for two years and then a, a role came up on the trustee board. And, and by that time, because I'd been working at the pensions regulator for a, a couple of years and that really focuses on, on trustees and trustee governance, mm -hmm. I'd been thinking how could I get in more, you know, more experience of sort of uh, exposure to boards and, and that kind of thing. So I uh, volunteered for the trustee role and, and took, started, sort of started taking that on in um, 2018. So I've done that for a number of years now and Wow. And what did you most learn in, in your tenure during all that time? So I think one of the main things is that people really bring different skill sets onto the board. And, you know, that, that came through both in my board experience, but also in my work at the regulator, at the pensions regulator. I did a, a, a number of research projects looking at uh, different areas of governance. So we looked at defined contribution pension schemes and the governance around those. And or then we also looked into trustees in a, in a sort of great detail over a number of years. And so that led me to get to sit in at, at um, board meetings, at trustee board meetings and get to observe. And that really helped me out when I then went to become a trustee uh, of a charity because I'd seen issues sort of talked through in, in real life and seen how people were able to bring their different knowledge and skills into discussions that the board would have to, to reach a conclusion. And I know certainly with, with my current trustee board at AGK, we've got 
people with really different experience across sort of adult social care and local authorities to NHS. And then we've also got, um, you know, someone from, from banking and, you know, someone else is a director of a, of a company currently. So that really brings different uh, knowledge and experience and especially like weathering different, uh, you know, exogenous issues like economic conditions and things like that. It can be really helpful to have all those different uh, views brought forward to help you know, support the management team, essentially, because that's what, what we're there for. And what is it about age and becoming older that you most um, discovered and that really informed the kind of work you do in general? So I think, yeah, part of the, the real um, attraction, I guess, of working with AGK is that, you know, window into what older people are experiencing. And one of the things that I really learned early on was that getting older is often about loss it can be loss of, of, you know, it can be people around you, but it can also be loss of like faculties. It can be impairments over time. Um, it can be illnesses and things like that, that, uh, you know, people do suffer a lot of loss. And so part of uh, thinking about how to help people is also how can you help them participate? How can you help them give give back essentially as, as well, rather than only, you know, sort of be receiving things? Because, it's something like, you know, about being a, a person is that having a purpose and, and having agency and being able to, to to do things or choose to do things that, that you know, give you something as well as, as just, uh, you know, being on the receiving end of things. So I think that was really important and has really helped me when I'm working on, on different issues, think about how, you know, what, what it is that you can, that what I'm doing, how that applies to sort of people's real lives and how, that can help them and, and, you know, what kind of things we can we can do in that space. Mm. So from loss to agency, and how does that connect with your current work and sustainable investment? So I think it's, it's not as direct as when I was working at the, the pensions regulator, but of course, when we're working in sustainable investment, we look across, a, you know, a, lo a lot of different areas and different issues. Primarily, you might think about climate change as that's very often on a lot of people's minds and on a lot of boards agendas but there's also uh, social issues as well things like human rights things about uh, like workplace safety um, and things like uh, modern slavery that are becoming more and more important and coming up the agenda because of you know this sort of legislative drivers as well there. So I wonder what is in the way of having sustainable investments that really really achieve what they ought to achieve? So I think it's part of this is really about integrating it into the investment process. So how do the sustainable investment teams work with the investment teams and alongside and how do those, those relationships work and, and how do we really embed those considerations in those investment decisions? Mm -hmm. So both the sort of initial decisions to deploy capital and then in terms of in, uh, monitor, you know, monitoring and engaging with investee companies over time and, and, and uh, how, does that, how do those outcomes get built? into the investment process as well. So there's more and more uh, sort of regulatory requirements in this space. There's more and more reporting and particularly disclosure around these activities. So there's more drive, I think, for, well, there's certainly more drive for disclosure. And, you know, for a lot of, uh, of the teams, that's things that are already happening. So now it's a matter of reporting on that and, and recording that in an effective way. So I think things are, are certainly in the European and, and UK space in particular are, are very much moving forward there. I think different jurisdictions have different regulatory frameworks, different approaches, 
And, you know, you'll probably have seen that in the US in particular, there's been a you know, quite strong pushback and, and some regulatory pushback in some states. So there's always, I guess, push and pull in, in any area and sustainable investment certainly one that has grown in importance, but at the same time, as you know, those issues start to be unpicked, that results in, I guess, the sort of political views uh, are very much in the mix as well. Mm. And I think, you know, more broadly, if we're thinking about things that are going on in, in the sustainability space, you've got commitments on climate change, commitments on biodiversity being made by governments across the world. And then there's going to need to be uh, local policies put in place to, to drive those commitments and, and you know, to meet those commitments over time. So I think there's quite a lot of uh, different things there that are making the area very important and, and leading to sort of a lot of growth in, in that area. And, and a lot more boards will be thinking about that or they'll have you know, people on the board or maybe subcommittees or um, or structures like that that are directly responsible for the sustainability uh, activities and, and operations and implementation as well. Mm. So Amanda, when, when we are picking up on the pushback here, how does it make you feel? That's interesting. It's, it's, I think it feels inevitable because with any kind of change, if you look back over history, and I do spend quite a bit of time like listening to history podcasts I find that quite interesting especially mm -hmm. the sort of new approaches to history where it's like looking more at not just at what the the elites or leaders were doing but looking at what regular people were doing or what 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 female people were doing in the past and trying to dig into the broader more like uh, the broader tapestry of, of of what's been been going on in the past you can see that in when you know whenever there's change that there's there's often been like reaction to that change and and or another you know either reaction to that change or another thing that can happen is that change is sort of captured by the, the people who are already doing quite well to prevent that change from seriously uh, upsetting the the system as it were but you can also see that over time that the systems of that we operate under and the things that we believe in have changed significantly as well so i think that gives hope that over time uh, we can make those changes to the system that will enable people to thrive and, and, and grow prosperity without potentially you know, being excessively extractive or not, not being in balance with, with nature and, and with the climate. So I think those are, are outcomes that you know, a lot of people think are positive things, but then I guess other people may see that as a threat or frame that as a threat because of certain activities or, or outcomes that, that they are particularly attached to. Mm. I've noticed when, I mean, and you're not the only one, when people pronounce the word hope, there's a little twitch in the face or a little pause just before, as if we had to, almost to give ourselves the permission to hope. What are your thoughts? I think that's the broader sort of like a cultural place that we're in at the moment mm -hmm. I think if you look back over the 20th century I know when you've had significant changes and you know and you've had growth of uh, lots of welfare state after the second world war and new consensus in Europe and globally and you've had new global trade open up you've had you know, new treaties between different countries and more and more interconnectedness and there was very much I think and then you've had the social movements as well you've had civil rights movement you've had movements for uh, you know indigenous rights in, in 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 Australia and other places and those things have created enormous change and I think you know the end of the 60s was this period where people felt enormous hope and there had been huge change mm. 
And then you had the sort of seventies, and you had oil crises and economic depression and things that really turned the other way, and, and people maybe started to lose hope. And then you've had you know successive generations where we've had incredible growth on on the back of globalization, and that's really a portion of people have done really well from that. But then on the reverse side, we're starting to see actually. There's been uh, negatives to that, and there's, there's been un- unaccounted for externalities that are now starting to to really show, mm. and you know, that leads to a place where having wh- whether we've had those experiences or we've we've learned about them from others, and we've we've moved through those different sort of levels of thinking. I think where we are today, there is hope, but there's also a lot of evidence that there's a lot of uh, quite negative things already built into. The system, like the sort of climatic system and the various other sort of planetary boundaries that that we have, I think I saw um, reports this week that um, and uh, all, all but one of the the planetary boundaries is, is, has been breached. The scientists are, are, are saying that the evidence is sort of showing, and I guess that moves us into a space that we don't really know exactly what's going to be happening in terms of, of those things and, and what does that mean for how we invest and how mm-hmm. governments uh, operate and how that sort of uh, social contract operates with, with with citizens as well because I think people have a right to expect to you know be able to, to breathe the air outside and, and to, to be able to get clean water out of their uh, out of their taps and, and things like that and 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 you know and we look at that and not even and, and that's just in the developed world right if we look at the emerging markets and developing world, there's so many people who don't even have uh, have have those things yet. So I think you know there's a lot of uh, things that we can look at that we can get really down about and and to think maybe that's intractable, maybe things don't change. But then we can also get I think we can get hope from the fact that humans can imagine a different world and we can find a different way to work together and different ways of cooperating and and that that has happened. You know, even in the past century, you can look at those significant points of, of, of change and sort of broader consensus in, in regions or even globally. So linking inspiration from history and, and the power of imagination. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And just thinking about, uh, like, I guess, Eurocentric uh, kind of culture, uh, maybe incorporating other, you know, other places like the US, Australia, New Zealand, you know, Canada, perhaps. But if we look at the way other cultures perceive the past and, and the future, there's certain like Indigenous cultures where they think about seven generations. And that's that's the way that you make decisions as you think about how this will impact on the next seven generations. And that's something that I think that we can you know, potentially learn from and, and globally come together and, and think about how do we, mm. you know, as I said a bit earlier, you know, build prosperity for, for more and more people rather than drive inequality and, and you know, end up in a, in, in a place where that's not something that we all have a consensus about because it's not actually delivering for the majority or, you know, the, the, even all, you know, all people. Mm. I've, I've heard you say, about stewardship, so you say long-term sustainable investment practices are of paramount importance if we are to encourage positive change in the world. It's stewardship has too often been placed at the bottom of asset owner agendas given me- measurement challenges. So how do we have to redefine or re-embrace stewardship or resell stewardship so that it's more useful? 
So I think there's there are a, like a lot of developments going on in this space, and I won't sort of go into too many of them in any detail. But I think you're seeing more of this push on, uh, I guess, shareholder democracy, and you know, pushing that out to sort of even retail investors. Um, and you know, that there's, there's things going on there that is sort of pushing in that space. But I think on on the institutional investor side, you have got more and more institutional investors, so pension funds in, in particular, um, looking at their stewardship approaches. You've had the UK's Department of Work and Pensions put out guidance at the beginning of last year, I think, but it had a, a load of really useful information on, uh, you know, developing stewardship policies and, you know, rather uh, what to do if you don't have the resources for like a full full voting policy how to sort of move forward in, in different areas and hang, had, you know, the concept of expression of wish that it, it drew from uh, sort of a task force that it had been making recommendations the previous year. So I think there's a, a, a lot more, you know, certainly when I was working in investment consulting over the, over the sort of previous few years, um, there, were, there were more and more of our, our clients, you know, looking at that in, in more detail of course, all of the pension funds uh, get reporting about, you know, voting and engagement activity now because that's something that's required by their regulations. So I think because there's information flowing, uh, it's then up to, you know, advisors and, and trustees to, to look at that information and to interpret it and to look at what they might be able to do better, what might be able to add value over the long term to those investments. Because if you think about what stewardship is is intended to do. It's really about how to how to add value to uh, that investment and, and those investment outcomes over over time. So that's what that engagement is is driving towards. So whether that is you know asset managers engaging with their underlying investments, or whether that's pension funds either individually or coming together and collectively and you know, engaging with their advisors or their asset managers to to set out what it is that would help them drive forward a better value in, in terms of uh, the, the investment over the long term. So I think there's certainly been growing interest that's but certainly been on more agendas. So I'm hearing stories of power, influence. There is no time to, uh, to waste here. I'm hearing stewardship, inspiration from history, um, uh, your uh, Dublin research and volunteering, all of the, what else is fueling your energy when it's not technical or not finance related? Um, well, like sort of what, what to relax, right? Um, yeah, no, I spend quite a lot of time outdoors. Like I, I've got three uh, three dogs, so I take them out quite a lot mm -hmm. uh, to the parks and the woods around here and take them down to the beach if it's uh, early enough in the day and not too warm, uh, which is... Uh, a bit of a risk at the moment and um you know like to get out on the water so go out paddle boarding and you know take the dogs in their life jackets out uh on the on the reservoir or out on the beach so yeah just being outdoors I think is is really important to me um even you know it's 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 summer now but even in the winter it's it's you know need to get out and about so um yeah like uh That'll be the main the main ones. And then, you know, meeting up with friends and, and going for walks with friends as well. I just think it's a great space to, you know, uh, share space together and, and, you know, communicate. Like often you have really amazing conversations or you see amazing things together. Like uh, we were out with a few friends the other week and we saw an adder just uh, sunbathing on, on the path. So that was a really, uh, 
you know, interesting experience. I've seen loads of snakes back home in Australia, but I'd never seen one in the UK before in like however many years it's been. So <laughs> wonderful. Amanda, let me take you on a future journey. I do that with uh, practically all of my guests here in the House of Trust. It's 2033 and you're making a pause, you're having some time for yourself and with your friends, maybe walking on a beach if it's still bearable out there and you reflect on the past 10 years. And I wonder what revolution was needed to have people tell each other you matter? Well, what a great question. So I think... I think it's it's back to to some of the themes from from earlier. So I think it's it's that that imagination point is key. So it's about drawing that that vision for people, drawing that picture, telling that story on how the world can be different, how we can get to a you know a, a different place in terms of how things are structured and and how those things work, and that those things can can work better, uh, you know, and, and those systems can. Uh, transition to low carbon and high nature system. We've got, you know, the science tells us what's happening on the climate side, but we've also got technological developments. We've we've got different pathways for different sectors, and we need to clearly think through those and and, and bring those together alongside the other type of policies that that we know can work. Subsidies, incentives, tax changes, all of those things operate together right they're not sort of operating in isolation so there's not one of those things that will fix it but by thinking through those things as a system and and and, and imagining it what we want as the outcome at the end of the day I think that that's you know something that that will happen over the next decade I also think that um there's thought experiments that we can do to help us get there we imagine a world where you know wealth is shared better where there is broader general prosperity where older people aren't lonely and and left alone with no support where the care system operates effectively so imagine that world Mm -hmm. and then try and argue that the world should look like it does today Mm. it's quite difficult to to do that so we can really focus on that vision of of, where we want things to be and how we want things to be better and then work our work our way way towards that, and and work between those different, I guess, silos or different areas. So, the government, the public sector, the private sector, the the charity sector. I see a lot of crossover between those areas, and there's other people that I volunteer with, and other people I work with who I know volunteer in other spaces where we are trying to create more of that that crossover and that cross seeding of of ideas between the different sectors in the different areas because by seeing uh, you know where those things go right and go wrong and what difference and impact those things can make on the ground we can really help focus on on how we can make the future better Mm. so that's a beautiful message of hope cross-seeding imagination convening from you here so thank you so much for uh, spending some time thinking out loud in the house of trust amanda no worries at all. That was really uh, fun to speak with you. So that's it for today. I look forward to welcoming you back to the House of Trust again soon. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, subscribe to the show anywhere you can find your favorite podcast. And for more insights and opportunities to think independently for yourself or your team, 
explore the future and find more ease to collaborate with others, head to my website, servanmoison.co.uk and sign up for my regular conscious innovation updates for people who love to invest in social and environmental change and ignite a positive impact. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Keep thinking well and goodbye. Thank you.